I would say the analogy I would use would be like the two of us were piloting a giant robot that was built by Neon Hum. We learned a lot about like the, the sort of brass tacks of putting together the, be- the beginnings and ends of a podcast, which we kind of, I, I don't think I fully considered anyway. Hey, it's Evo again, and this is Three Clips, a Castos original. As always, our goal with Three Clips is to demystify the creative process behind great podcasts and to inspire greater creativity in your work. To help with that, today I'm chatting with Amanda Meadows and Jeffrey Golden about their podcast, Dirt Cheap, a Neon Hum production. Dirt Cheap is a comedy show where Jeffrey and Amanda explore dirt cheap paperback novels. Well, explores might be generous, more subjects themselves to is on point. They find funny in the bad, and there's lots of funny to be found. Amanda works in publishing, hence her interest in books. She's the founder of The Devastator Press and works as a senior publisher at Oni Press. Jeffrey is the lead narrative designer at Pixagon Games and hosts another podcast with two comedian friends called Worst Movies Pod, so clearly he loves bad art. And this is some of the best bad art I think you'll find. Three Clips is a Castos original series. Castos helps podcasters like you host amazing shows and monetize premium content, all within our easy-to-use podcast dashboard. If you're looking for a team to help get your next podcast project off the ground, look no further than Castos Productions. Hey, we make this show too. Email us, hello, at castos.com with any questions, or visit threeclipspodcast.com slash castos for more information. And now, here's my conversation with Amanda and Jeffrey about their podcast, Dirt Cheap. So I want to get this out of the way up front. My podcasting career started a long, long time ago with a book-focused podcast. I was interviewing science fiction authors in my case. And your show is book-focused. So... Do you prefer the term geek or nerd when it comes to your obsessions? Ooh. Amanda, oh what do my you gosh. say? I feel like I'm averse. I, I do both. Like, I, I, I do say geek more in sort of a broader, like, geek culture or, like, the geek industry kind of thing. And then nerd, I think I maybe use more personally. So, like... I'm a book nerd. I'm a comedy nerd. That kind of I thing. I would say I'm exactly the same way. But uh, and I'll also, but I'll add that I probably identify most as goofball. So that would be. Right. I know that wasn't an option, but I wanted to throw that out there. It's important to represent us goofy Americans. I've been called goofy since I was like four. So feel feeling. I appreciate the audible. We'll we'll stick with goofy. I think I think that works more. <laughs> The vast majority, but you, you are you are well at home here. Now, the conceit behind Dirt Cheap is that the two of you read from, well, Dirt Cheap novels. Novels, by the way, that it's unlikely anybody else has ever stumbled across. When I listen, I hear a little bit Mystery Science Theater 3000, maybe a little My Dad Wrote a Porno. Do you think that's a fair assumption? And are there any other major inspirations that I'm not picking up on? 
No, I think that's exactly right, especially uh, MST3K. I mean, I think that that's that's uh, very influential. I mean, the for, format of the show is, you know, I'll be reading sections in character. And of course, we've got, uh, you, know, for, you know, we've got uh, sound effects, editing, music and stuff. So it really it does feel like until we sort of break it down, Amanda interrupts or or, uh, you know, or I just break down laughing because I'm reading something so absurd. And then we just talk about it. Yeah, there are a lot of moments where I maybe wouldn't have laughed, but you laughed while reading a passage, and that made me think, okay, this is about to be a crazy sentence, and it always ended up being that. Both of us really just do enjoy the mystery genre, and so, you know, I, I think this was a natural this was a natural fit for us, working on a, a reading a, a dime store who done it uh, was just like a perfect fit for us. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, we we were both indie publishers in in our past life and you know, we both grew up in houses where we were watching weird things, but it it kind of combined all of those things in, in in addition to unsuspectedly at least for me at first our interest in complicated histories and yeah, this book gives a lot of detail in a in a weird (laughs) portrait of what LA looked like in 1945 which (laughs) ended up being a huge hobby for me the the like months we were doing the podcast I just I just went to town like researching what the city was like and oh boy he wasn't off base (laughs) I speak from experience when I say that people who are funny together oftentimes say oh man we should start a podcast and sometimes it works oftentimes it doesn't work but dirt cheap works and i wonder why is that because you're clearly you're funny you're funny together but what do you think is special about the two of you that makes it work so well what you're describing which is very common did not happen in this case at all uh, Amanda and I, uh, I mean, both of us enjoy performing on occasion, but I don't think either of us would describe ourselves necessarily as performers, as hosts, as actors or what have you. I used to, I was an actor as a kid. I, I do more of it than Amanda does, but um, I enjoy doing it. But 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 it's not how we self-identify. Um, and so I'd say we're more writer, editor types, the two of us. But what's interesting is, okay, so the way Dirt Cheap came together had nothing to do with us being like, hey, we're funny, like we should start a podcast. So we were working on a podcast. We, we had pitched a podcast idea to Stitcher and uh, Stitcher produced it. Um, and it ended up, it was, it didn't end up coming out on Stitcher. It it was a show called Mystery Solver, which was a parody of a mystery show, Starly Kine's show. Basically, we were doing it as a parody of all the different Gimlet shows through the perspective of, uh, how, how would you describe the lead character in Mystery Solver? Sort of a, sort of a baffling protagonist. Yeah, I think that's right. She is a baffling <laughs> protagonist. She she walks into every room as the protagonist, <laughs> uh, like detective, and everyone else has to kind of fall over themselves to catch up to whatever the hell reality she's in. But at the same time, uh, it's that that like that NPR style of curiosity where 
it's driven by you know kind of like cynical <laughs> cynical needs or self-indulgent needs uh which i think was something a little bit of a criticism that Jeffrey and I maybe had for uh, for a certain type of podcasting. <laughs> so, so we exactly so so we produce this show. So the show ends up coming out on uh, Campfire Media. But the um, the producer on that show uh, was named Jonathan Hirsch, and uh, Jonathan's very talented uh, podcast producer, and and he became a, an executive. He became in charge of his own company called Neon Hum, and he really enjoyed the process of working with us. And he reached, we reached out to us one day, and he said, "I have this idea for a podcast wherein the hosts would read an old mystery novel and comment on it as they were reading it." And are you interested in being involved? And I thought he was like, oh, he wants us to like be producers or he wants us to be writers because he saw how well we worked behind the scenes on, uh, with him on Mystery Solver. And it ended up being that he wanted us to host it. He really liked our vibe. He thought the two of us were funny. And we were like, what? Yeah, we were surprised. Huh? <laughs> us? <laughs> oh, we did a lot of just comical us. Yeah, there were a lot of shrugging, and, and you know, we 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 were a little like, are we prepared to do that? But then uh, we took a look at the book, and Jeffrey got to read it uh, in its entirety before we started the podcast. I came in completely cold, so all I I heard vague, this is a lot, this is wild, <laughs> this is very weird, um, but not knowing exactly <laughs> what to expect. Uh, which I think uh, set us up perfectly for Jeffrey and I's sort of, I guess, natural style of conversation. Uh, we're, we we do a lot of back and forth. We talk throughout the day uh, about literally everything. So nothing, nothing feels like scary or off limits to talk to Jeffrey about. And I think because we trust each other so implicitly, it makes it really easy to talk about even the dumbest or most heinous stuff. Oh, I, I should... Uh, at, you, listeners at home may have already figured this out, but in addition to being partners on creative projects, Amanda and I are partners in the married sense. Um, so we... Partners in the game they, of life. <laughs> So we so so yeah we 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 know each other pretty well at this point I would say after uh, over a decade of uh, being together it's uh, you get to know yeah, a person yeah it's like thirteen years you get to know yeah. a person so you you brought up neon hum and I want to talk about that I'm curious when the when does the Amanda and Jeffrey show end and when do neon hums people take over. Sure, yeah. I'd say the premise of the podcast and research and fact-checking, all of that sort of early production and development work, uh, we had the help of the Neon Hum staff, namely our main producer, Carla, um, and uh, and our editor and co-producer, Vikram, who you know, really set us up. We knew what we were going into uh, for each chapter when we were recording. We were recording weekly um, at the Neon Hum offices during the middle of the like 2020 uh, style uh, pandemic classic. <laughs> and uh, the offices were completely empty. So we would just kind of uh, pretend 
that we owned the place for a couple of hours and recorded uh, <laughs> recorded uh, by ourselves. And, uh, you know, the editing um, and sound design, all Neon Hum, of course, uh, with uh, Vikram along with Scott Somerville, I believe. But when it comes to what we were saying, uh, it's pretty clear when Jeffrey's reading from the book and when he's talking, but in terms of like everything I'm saying is just truly off the dome. Uh, and some of it is every so often when I uh, listen uh, to a clip, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of how surprised I was in the moment. The I would say the analogy I would use would be like the two of us were piloting a giant robot that was built by Neon Hum. Like, it was us in the pilot. Like, we were piloting the thing, but, like, all the mechanics, like, around us were expertly crafted and engineered by the Neon Hum team. So it was, it was, it was really fun. It was a really seamless and fun process. Um, they made it really easy for us to just, like, jump in to, you know, show notes and discussing what we what we need to uh, record for we learned a lot about like the the sort of brass tacks of putting together the begin the beginnings and ends of a podcast which we kind of I, I don't think I fully considered anyway it's like when you need to set up an unusual premise and introduce people you've never met before and also some transition moments throughout the season of reading Murder in the Glass Room that stuff is like all just priceless pr production brain stuff from Carla just uh, yeah just really set us up for success how big of a part of your life is dirt cheap I mean, when we, when Amanda and I decide to do something, we invest in it. I mean, to our credit, you know, we may be goof, we may be goofballs, but we are serious goofballs. Like we, we take the, we commit, we to commit the to the goofery. I mean, we we ran a, a humor press together for eight years. You know, we we where we went around the country to, uh, you know, from Comic Con to Comic Con lugging heavy boxes of books uh, to, you know, various locales. Uh, you know, when, when we commit to doing something, we, we, we do it. And so we, we, we really wanted to do uh, Dirt Cheap to the best of our abilities. You know, for me, you know, I, I, you know, I was reading the chapters beforehand and rereading them, um, coming up with character, you know, figuring out like potential character voices and like doing some research on like who could I... Who might this be kind of like? Who is this character maybe kind of sound like? You know, for Amanda, I mean, it's she, as you, she's pointed out earlier, you know, she did, did a ton of research on the time period and stuff. And she had the fact, you know, she had a lot of facts at her fingertips uh, for when they came up. So, yeah, we, we wanted to be uh, funny and uh, we wanted to do a good job with the performance. We also wanted to be as knowledgeable about the time period as we could. Well, we're going to jump in to start playing some clips right now. Uh, all the clips are taken from the very first season of season one. And this chapter or this episode is called Meet Phil. To, again, to restate what's going on here, you, Jeffrey, are reading from a noir novel set in the late 1940s Los Angeles. And in this clip, you are reading the cast of characters. Let's hear that. I don't know if this was common for books of this era, but it here it is, a cast of characters. 
Phil Norris was a bookie, a straight guy, but tough as they come. Edna Norris was his wife, dot, 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 until he found her dead in the glass room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's that slam dunk sales copy. Like, got, I am, they got, they got me on that They got one. the murder in the glass room, like, even before technically the book starts. Jerry Stearns was Phil's partner for years, but not a man to throw money away when he didn't have to. Murdoch was a smart cop. He had reasons for liking Phil. Murdoch! Uh, Shelly Callaghan was a newspaper gal, smart, beautiful. She'd been around. Professor Stanley was the head of Veterans United and other assorted rackets. Oh, I love it. Rosa Martinez had her own notions about morality. Oh, God. And she lived by them. Carlos was Rosa's boss. Oliver Martin was a shriveled up old man, but he lived at an important address. <laughs> Why would you say that The wife, now? he lived at the White House. <laughs> he was the president. <laughs> and finally, Willie had a grudge against Norris. Okay. By the way, Willie is an amazing character, and I don't want to spoil it for, for but Willie has an amazing Willie has sure. an amazing arc. His the end the last scene that Willie is in is maybe the best scene in the whole is the best scene in the whole book. You know, when Stewart, who's the producer of Three Clips, when he keyed in on this episode right away um, with this clip, he, he talked about to me about structure. And it's because it's a funny bit, right? I mean, the whole the whole premise is funny. Once again, it's a comedy show, right? But this particular clip shows the importance, in his mind, of structure and about how really any format can work as long as it has some good and intentional structure uh, behind it. Books included as podcasting, right? And, and you're establishing it right off by creating some structure. And the structure's kind of subtle here, right? There's some, some bed music, which is appropriate to the piece you're reading from. That really sets off the Jeffrey is reading the book now portion. And there's also, uh, you leave room for commentary. And I think that structure of just having that bed music under so people know when it is you are reading and when it is you are not reading, I think that really helps make the podcast work. I see podcasts try to do that a lot, but oftentimes in a very chaotic way. Uh, with a little a little structure keeps people on track. So so my question is, is that structure baked in from the beginning of the episode, or is it something that you find after you get the raw tracks into the recorder? Correct me if I'm wrong, Amanda. Did did they or did they? Well, they okay. So there was a there was a demo that that they had recorded of this format ahead of time. Before we actually were were in it, they they, they it was uh, yeah it was a test with just the producers and Jonathan yeah right? and they knew they knew that they were going to do a high they were going to do like a production values they were going to do music and they were going to do that in the in the show like they had decided that so for the reading parts that were going they were going to feel like an audio book basically. Uh, my my idea was that they could take this content, they could take all the commentary out. I read most of the book. 
they, you know, throughout the show, they could take all the commentary out and just do an abr- put up an abridged version of this book. So I'm pretty sure it's uh, public domain at this point, you know, if they wanted to. So I think it was sort of baked into the into the format. Yeah, they had sort of uh, troubleshooted that before we jumped in. Yeah, another part of that when we're reading uh, the book is, um, you know, switching sides for dialogue. Those like subtle things like that that help help me <laughs> follow a conversation. You, you know, man, it's just you saying that reminded me there was something that was not decided, that wasn't baked in when we started, which was uh, the cast. In the original... In That's the original right. demo, so speaking of all this cast, in the original demo, they had multiple actors portraying the parts. And what what I think we discovered in the process of doing the first episode is that it made the... It, 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 it sort of disconnected us, I think, from the story of me reading a book to Amanda. That's sort of the A... That's sort of... The yeah. A story of the podcast, right? And so it disconnected us from that story. So when when there were multiple voices and stuff, so it ended up being that I I did all the I did the full reading. Yeah, I think it works better that way, and I agree. I, I think the that primary notion of Jeffrey's going to read a book to Amanda, and we're going to get Amanda's amazing commentary afterward, really works. Because if not, you're just listening. You're listening to somebody else read an audio book, and then breaking in uh, all the time to have conversations. I think that would have made more sense if it truly was like MST3K, where this was like a found, like this was like a found audio. Like this was like, oh, we unearthed some like ancient audiobook that was like ridiculous and then we're just going to cut it and just edit splice our commentary in but we didn't have there was no audiobook for this so you know it would have been weird to like Wax. make one and then cut in to <laughs> the thing ourselves you know what i mean Well, let's drill into this idea of, of structure a, a little bit more, and also the, the the two of you with your bantering uh, when we when we play this second clip. And Stuart, let's let's play this this one now. Everybody has his racket, and even a doorman has to live. Second profession that he hates: doorman. Even a doorman has to live. <laughs> the doorman racket. What a scheme it is to he, take I, take shit from it, your from your tenants all day and ah uh, yeah, yeah that's your racket bucko <laughs> your racket my racket yeah. i got a racket you got a racket <laughs> he whistled for the garage boy i turned to go inside but i found the entrance blocked by a little man in a weedy tweed suit he was standing there tense and angry when i got close to him he almost exploded it's about time he spluttered i thought to myself here it starts again and nudged him gently inside the door. Lousy bastard, the little guy yelped, making me stand out here in the rain and get my only good suit soaked. Look, Willie, I said, what is it now? Willie hopped up like a mad grasshopper. What is it now? He said, you know goddamn well what it is. When the hell are you going to settle up? 
I love Mad Grasshopper because the only grasshopper anybody knew at this time was Jiminy Cricket, and he was not a mad grasshopper. It was a very happy grasshopper, I think. All descriptors in this book are baffling. Like, just why did you choose the word choice? I would just put word choice as an editor on like every <laughs> sentence. Yeah. Anyhow, I, I want to talk more about structure uh, with that bit as well, but with a couple of key points here. One of the things I like is what, when you went deeper into the aside, the conversation between the two of you on the doorman racket, whatever that was, um, I noticed that the producers at the time, they, they took the bed music totally out because there's several seconds where you're having a conversation about that. And I think that's very smart because it lets the audience know that it's not book reading time. Now it's commentary time. Also some very well-placed sound effects with sound of cars and like there was a whistle that was in there. All that works. But what I really want to key on is the banter. How much banter would you guess is or was left on the proverbial cutting room floor? Ooh. Oh, that's a guy. I, I think for the, especially for the first couple of episodes, probably a lot. Because there were, there were some where I, I definitely just went off the deep end and was like, but, but if this happened in 1632, then what, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, just like really like going uh, off the map in, in my, in my responses to things that I think those things have probably got cut out in the early parts of the show. But yeah, I think as we went on and more and more of the, we, we started to get a better sense of like how long is too long to talk before we get back into the book. Because we didn't want to like completely derail what the reason for the season, but it was still, um, you know, just enough to so that we could still get a couple points and jokes in. The, I know that they cut, they definitely cut um, sections of the book itself. So they were definitely abridging That's the book true. itself. One thing that happens is as you, because we were listening to the show, to the edits and stuff, and we were listening to the final episodes as we were still recording. So, so, and what happens is when you do that is you get like a really good sense of like what's staying in and why. And then I think you start to, you start to sort of play to, to the edit. You start to understand like, oh, okay. Like when I, the, it's really funny when we do this. And so it's then, so then you sort of, your brain subconsciously kind of creates opportunities for that or starts to think in terms of those kinds of questions. I, I mean, I definitely knew going in, having read the chapter, you know, then going into the record, like I had a really good sense of like what Amanda was going to react to. Um, a, because I know her very well, right. but B, because after a couple chapters, it's like, oh, okay, like this character is back. Amanda is going to be thrilled to see this character again. I better play this up and like let's you know let's just talk about how great it is that this character is back you know mystery is an interesting form of fiction because it, it is semi-interactive there's an anticipation that the reader is is reading to figure something out right like a player would in a game and so part of me keep wanting to keep it as secret as possible is just because i wanted to get a man's reaction to the twists and turns and the clues and all of the mystery elements so that it would be it would be more fun. I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that uh, the mystery elements are completely lacking. And boy, uh, do I get furious as the book goes on 
uh, the lack of craft in this uh, so-called mystery. You were so mad at a certain point. It was but very the, funny. Mr. Writes in Excel spreadsheets. I do. Well, in, in, you know, because you're all about those branching In game paths. writing, game writing, we exactly we use uh, we use spreadsheets, the nerdiest way to potentially write something. So not only are we writing, but we are you know, we are writing in like the geekiest format. So yeah, I get upset. I, I got upset with the book, but 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 yeah, I always wanted to keep it a secret from a man to get those reactions. Uh, as fresh as possible, and uh, yeah, and it's as you can hear in the, the edit, it's it works out, it works out great because Amanda's incredible off the cuff. our last clip and we're going to focus in on the on the star of the show here amanda once again but i want to give our audience a little bit of direction before we before we play this uh pay specific attention to the role that amanda plays here dear listener and then we're going to come back and talk about it Stuart. one wall of the room was something i'd always dreamed of there was a red brick fireplace entirely surrounded by bookshelves except for a large area just over the mantelpiece which was set back especially for a picture the kid painter had got me to buy. It was a big painting of a couple of horses prancing around in an open, sunny courtyard against a background of ruined walls. This is something that (laughs) Phil had always imagined. Phil had always imagined a bookshelf horse painting (laughs) wall. (laughs) Like since he was a kid, like but I'm but the kid painter tr- told him, convinced him to buy the painting. Yeah, so he like so this always kid is also psychic. like this kid is also an interior designer who is like brokering painting sales. Yes, but also read his mind to know his like childhood desires of like what yeah. kind of room he wanted. I think is this a sixth sense situation? Yeah, this he's Professor I think, Xavier. I think he's the boy. So now, the role that I heard you play there, Amanda, was really us <laughs> stuck in this, the hell am I listening to? You, you were really the proxy for us offering those, that whole up moment because, you know, at least some listeners, if not every single listener, certainly had in their mind. So my question, and in case you haven't figured it out yet, I, I love long lead-ins to questions here. Um, how intentional are you when you're playing that role, Amanda, as proxy for us, the audience? Ooh, I I think I'm of two minds in that role as proxy because I have like a double, triple, quadruple consciousness as someone with like many intersecting identities. I I tend to already be thinking about how I'm going to be received. So some of that already kind of came naturally, like being able to transmute my own thoughts and feelings in a way that other people could still find legible while still sounding like myself. You know, that's a, that's a tricky balance uh, for everyone, particularly queer black women. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a, uh, it's a tightrope, but um, because of that sort of training, it made it a little bit easier to sort of think of myself in that role as a proxy for everybody else, even though I personally do not, <laughs> don't think a, a lot of people are, 
are necessarily coming to the same conclusions that I am to some things. Like it's, I, I'm also pretty clear about my opinions and my politics in some parts of the of the series, depending on you know what comes up, especially near the end. Uh, no spoilers, but it was uh, it was on, on one side kind of natural and on the other side a little bit of a negotiation of like how far do I want to go with my anger or bafflement or whatever kind of reaction I had um, and still kind of using language that is like just understandable and uh and relatable there there were a lot of what's <laughs> um and uh you know i i try to imagine the things that uh jeffrey's reading to me and so that gives me some some ideas for wild questions to ask that i don't know that the listeners are necessarily asking but some of them probably are so i and uh, that's entertaining enough so uh yeah it's a kind of part natural part kind of a negotiation and remembering that i'm speaking to a greater audience than like just uh say jeffrey and our friends the show works great i i it's a lot of fun it's it's a great premise you guys clearly have amazing chemistry together and that certainly shines through uh during the episodes were there any other topics you wanted to bring up that we didn't ask? You know, I uh, just want to shout out our team again, uh, Carla Green, uh, Vikram Patel, and Scott Somerville, and the whole Neon Hum team. Yeah, Jonathan Hirsch, especially shout out to you. Uh, things that like maybe we didn't talk about that might be fun. We kind of had like a little ongoing online conversation throughout the series um, when it was still airing of like who do we think did it and I was always kind of curious how how much it was going to matter to people to kind of have thought about who done it since as Jeffrey said the mystery elements of the book are are really slacking so uh uh it was fun it was fun to kind of have those guessing yeah, people games were, yeah people Twitter. were speculating there was definitely uh there was definitely conversation around it which was really cool to see people guessing it was uh, it was like a very small who shot mr burns uh, kind of experience um <laughs> the that was cool yeah the interaction was fun we we did you know, we did some interesting events leading promoting the the book promoting the series leading up to it. we did that I mean, this was all during the pandemic, so it was very strange. It was all very strange. We did a virtual event on Facebook Live, which was a lot of fun. It was like a comedy show with some other folks from The Moth and from some other podcasts uh, to, you know, sort of a cross promotion. And Yeah, the By the Book uh, hosts. And yeah, there were some really great uh, podcasters there. That was really fun. But yeah, doing doing that kind of thing during uh, the the demi kind of made it hard to you know we weren't doing like podcasting festivals or anything like that. But we did the um, virtual. One. We did a virtual uh, we, one. But we did the virtual. Came, where it was uh, it was like there was a it was a vir- I guess it was Sony Music doing the pan putting the panel together or whatever. And we it was like yes, it was like us and like Nick Offerman were like bundled together we're like oh, bundled right. together i was like wow okay like i i'm not sure I, I, all right cool thanks that's that is the uh, interest that is interesting i don't know i listen yeah it was funny it was funny it's like oh yeah nick offerman that's incredible i'm a big fan and also like what what are we doing here yeah just a little gobsmacked is all yeah 
A big thanks to Amanda and Jeffrey for sharing their collaborative creative process behind Dirt Cheap with me today. Podcasting is great for creative explorations just like this. Sometimes podcasters attach some high concept, esoteric meaning behind their podcast. There's clearly a lot of thought and effort put into this podcast, but at the end of the day, Dirt Cheap is just about being funny. And that works great because it is funny. That's my kind of racket. You can get all the episodes of the first season of Dirt Cheap at Neon Hum's website, neonhum.com, or just follow the link in the episode details. I have been and shall be your host for this season, Evo Terra. Thank you so much for listening. You can find all the episodes of Three Clips on our website, threeclipspodcast.com. And you can support the show by telling a few dozen of your closest friends. Again, that's threeclipspodcast.com. This episode was produced and edited by Stuart Barefoot. Theme music was created by Tyler Litwin. Matt Medeiros is the executive producer of Three Clips. If you can't get enough of me, follow me on Twitter, where I'm at EvoTerra. And if you're a serious podcaster with an interest in making podcasting better, please check out my daily short-form podcast called Podcast Pontifications, which you can find at podcastpontifications.com. Three Clips is a Castos original series. You can learn more at castos.com. All of these links are in the episode details. And now our bonus segment. Each episode, we ask our guests for a podcast they'd recommend that isn't at the top of the charts, a show they'd like to show some love to. We call this segment, Play It Forward. I'll put a shine on a couple that are kind of newish or haven't really been talked about. Um, One is White People Won't Save You. Uh, which is a really, really funny new podcast uh, from two uh, comic book creators of color who've also written in other mediums. And each episode, they're kind of uh, talking about a different movie in which there is a white savior element. So we're talking the help. We're talking the blind side. We're talking lilies of the field. We're talking like all of the classics, um, in addition to weird, dumb movies like Save Save the Last Dance or... Um, stuff like that. And they have on like a, a really funny cultural critic. They've had folks from Vulture and, and the AV Club on and uh, they just kind of break down the movie and the reasons why it's, you know, being dissected and also kind of showing a lot of like funny and conflicting viewpoints about how some of these tropes play out in movies. I'll, I'll start by shouting out uh, a show I listen to regularly called There Are No Girls on the Internet. Um, it's uh, with host Bridget Todd. And uh, she's talking about one of the most important conversations we're having right now, which is uh, the Internet and the culture of, uh, you, know, ex- ex- you know, extreme misinformation and, uh, and violent rhetoric and uh, all kinds of problems that particularly marginalized uh, creators and voices are having on the internet right now. And uh, nobody uh, has this, is having this conversation uh, as well as her, as entertainingly as Bridget Todd, as uh, sophisticatedly as, as her. Uh, I learn something every time I listen to her show. Um, it's, really, uh, it's really just top-notch uh, top-notch pod she's got great interviews she does deep dives she does rants sometimes she'll just like rant about a subject for like 
10 minutes and that's the whole show but it's like oh what but she gives you perspective so anyway there are no girls on the internet i believe it's on iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts and i'm on a, i'm on a show uh called worst movies ever played and uh it is an actual play rpg podcast so for those who don't know what that is uh maybe if you haven't heard of critical role or something like that um actual plays it's where you play a a D&D type game, a role-playing type game, uh, and then and you record it as a podcaster or, or as a Twitch stream or something like that. Um, but we went in a very different direction with ours. Most of them take place in like a fantasy Dungeons and Dragons setting. That's what they're playing, it's D&D. Um, worst movies ever played, we're basically improvising bad movies from the 1980s that you would get on a VHS tape at like a blockbuster video. Um, so these are like cult, weird cult films that uh, we're improvising with the help of, uh, of an RPG game system. And we, we've done some absolutely wild episodes. Uh, I, we did one where uh, I played like a Chuck Norris analog whose best friend's brain was transplanted into Air Force One, and I'm riding my best friend, who is a, this plane, and then terrorists attack. So the plane and I have to team up to defeat the terrorists, and the, the movie is called Air Force Fun. Anyway, these are, these are examples <laughs> of the, the kind of, like, strange and bizarre I, I play with two of my uh two of my good friends that uh, both all of us are, are comedians and uh, comedy folk and uh you can find that on uh, worst movies ever played on the uh, starburns audio network uh, home of uh, dan Harmon's uh, shows and uh, gilbert godfrey and others that's where i will that's where i will play it that's where i will send it for <laughs> into And that wraps up another episode of Three Clips, a Castos original hosted by me, Evo Terra. I truly believe that one of the best ways we can make podcasting better is by understanding what goes on inside the heads of our fellow podcasters. Thanks for joining me this season. Cheers! Cheers!